Welcome to my podcast, Transform with Lisa Masters, stories of birth and life. I work with women all over the world to recognize their own personal worth and how to live a life aligned with that worth. On this podcast, I explore stories of birth, life, business, and motherhood. Listen and be inspired by how the work these women did on their journey transformed their entire lives. Let's dive in. Overcoming the birthing culture she grew up with in Brazil. Carolina chose to birth her first baby at home. She was then devastated by a hospital transfer that led to caesarean, as well as the appalling aftercare she and her baby received. Carolina is then faced with an unexpected pregnancy and is overwhelmed by fear and her need to know all the things. To have the birth she wants, she knows she must go deep to prepare. When her partner reveals his fear and trauma and wants her to birth in hospital, Carolina continues to do the work so she can believe in her ability to free birth her baby. Welcome, Carolina. Thanks for coming on to talk to us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Would you like to share with us how your mothering story begins? Okay, so it starts when I decided to get pregnant when I was 34. I had just recovered from Ross River virus. And when I was really sick, you know, I just had a lot of time to think about life. Like I had been thinking about having a baby for many years. But I was never really sure about it. After being really sick, I decided that I wanted to have a baby. And I discussed it with my partner. We had been together for seven years at that point. And he said, yeah, well, if, you know, I'll do what you want. If you think you're ready for a baby, we'll just see. I don't think he thought I was serious about it because I really liked partying. I went out every weekend, went out dancing and, you know, that's what I used to do every weekend. But after being sick, I just thought, is this what I want to do? Like forever, you know? And as soon as I recovered, so I was sick in January, December, January, February with the virus. And then in June, I decided I wanted to get pregnant. I had been tracking my ovulation and I knew when I was fertile and I knew you know one day I just turned to my partner and said today's fertile day I want to get pregnant let's do it and I got pregnant and then I was very scared because I didn't think I was going to get pregnant so quickly I thought it was going to take months because that's what I was told I had um, assisting my ovary a few years before that and I had surgery to remove it after waiting for about one year and monitoring and the gynecologist or the surgeon, he said, no, it could be that getting pregnant could take a little longer than I would expect, that I was getting old and all of that bullshit. And I decided to try and I got pregnant with one try. When I got pregnant, then the first thing I thought was, okay, so how is this baby going to come out of me? I come from Brazil where, you know, women usually book their C-section you know, they don't go into labor. They just have their babies. I'm a C-section baby. My brother is a C-section baby. My whole family. I just know of my grandmother and, you know, the previous generation having natural births. So I went looking for help. You know, it was very early in the pregnancy that I found you and I contacted you. And I was about 10 weeks pregnant, I think. And that's when we started our work together. And you told me, you know, about the, the home birth program that I didn't know much about at the time and I contacted them and got into their waiting list so that's how it started in terms of what I thought was getting ready 
for the baby to come out because that was my worry at the time. How comfortable were you with choosing home birth for your first baby? A lot of women find that not an easy choice to make. Well, I thought, you know, my mother always told me that doctors are for surgery, that when you're pregnant, you're not sick, even though people treat you as if you're sick, that you cannot do anything. And that if I wanted to have a vaginal birth, I was more likely and had more chances of doing it if I had it at home. And with my experience having Ross River virus, I just thought, you know, I was sick for a long time before I actually got help. And it wasn't a doctor who actually helped me. It was a naturopath. If I really want help to have a baby vaginally, the hospital is probably not the best place to go. These people cannot even help me with a simple virus, let alone having a baby. I didn't want to have a cesarean. I thought it was disgusting that people would, you know, like in Brazil, that people book it and that's how it is. You know, having a baby at home is something for women who don't have money or, you know, it's a, it's a matter of status going mm -hmm. to a hospital and having a cesarean. And for me, I didn't think that was right. I thought my, there was nothing wrong with my body that I could just have the baby. So in the end, it was quite easy for you to choose to birth your baby at home. Yes, it was easy. It was just a natural choice to make, I would say, to go with the home birth team at the time. They would come to my place for appointments. They left me alone throughout the beginning of the pregnancy up until I was 28 weeks. I think I saw them three times maximum. I liked the fact that they just came to my house. And so it was good for me to know that I had, that my baby was fine. It was good to listen to the heartbeat of the baby. It was good to have someone tell me that the baby was head down or whatever. Like I thought, I thought that gave me a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly what to expect because it was a model of care that I had never had. You know, mm -hmm. being in Brazil, I had, I went to doctor. Yeah, that's what you do. You go to hospital if you need help or if you need any sort of medical care. So for me, it was okay. Up until I started getting towards the end of my pregnancy and they started saying to me, you know, we have some training coming up and we might be away. So we might have to come to the birthing center. I'm really not sure who is coming to your birth and all these things that I was like, oh, okay. So I spent this whole pregnancy thinking that I was going to have this sort of care. And now we get to the end and I have to go to a doctor to be approved to have a birth at home. You know, I started distrusting them. But I was so happy, you know, I had a very good pregnancy. There was nothing wrong with me. I was doing Pilates. I was eating really well, considering at the time that I had just been really sick and lost a lot of weight. And I, I was working with you. So for me, it's like, yeah, well, whatever. I might not even call them. Mm -hmm. That was my next thing, you know. I was like, why do I actually need them? I might not even need to call them. So that was the next stage of my train of thought. I was just like... Do I really need them? What are they going to add to my birth? Oh, I don't need to call them if I don't want to. They came to my house, I think, when I was 38 weeks. Uh, the lady said, everything's fine. By that stage, I had prepared a birth plan that they seemed to be aware of. And I was just happy. I was, you know, very pregnant and happy. And I was about 40 weeks I thought things were changing and I thought, you know, the birth was coming up, but I wasn't sure. My body was changing at the time. I lost my mucus plug on the morning and it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And at 1130, my waters broke and I went straight into labor very intensely. For me, it was very intense and I had meconium in the waters. So I saw all the meconium came out. Well, it wasn't all of it. I don't know. It was a lot of it just down my legs. And I felt a lot of pain straight away. And I went and sat on the toilet and I got my partner to call you or I called you. We talked about different meconium in the water, color and how I was feeling. And I decided not to tell anyone and keep on laboring at home. It was about 1130 in the morning. And I stayed home, Dennis filled up the pool, I just labored in the shower, labored in, on the toilet, labored in the pool, and just kept swapping places and going from place to place. I was in another dimension at the time, I remember not knowing, understanding the time, I had no concept of time at, um, when I was in labor. And at one stage, I think it was almost nighttime, I think... I said to Dennis, now you call Lisa and ask her to come because things are changing. And I was in a lot of pain. My contractions were not regular. 
I wasn't counting, but I just knew they were very, either very long and then very close to one another or very short. And then I felt like I had no breaks between mm. one one contraction and the next. And he called you and I remember I was in the pool and I saw you there. I don't know how you got in there. I just saw you. <laughs> and I remember feeling a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain, but I was coping. I think I was coping really well and you held my hand and Dennis held my hand. We took turns and then at one stage, so I had, I think I had been home for 16 hours in labor and I was in a lot of pain. Just And then I, I think I asked Dennis to call the midwives. So they came over at about midnight and they came in with all their suitcases, walking in, making noise, flashing their flashlights in my face, my bum, talking about the meconium. You've got meconium in your waters. Why haven't you told us? How long have you had this on for? Started asking questions, making noise, talking to me, and my pain just went through the roof and I was in a lot of, a lot more pain and they did some tests, touched me, you know, my belly. And I don't remember exactly what she did, but she suggested that maybe the baby was posterior, but they started suggesting going to the hospital. The hospital, we can help you better. It's going to be better over there. The policy for those midwives that they work under is if there's any meconium in the water, they will direct you to transfer to hospital. I don't think I told them how long I had meconiums in the water for. I didn't have a fever. I was just checking in with how I felt at the time. And I, I didn't have a fever. I wasn't feeling sick. I vomited a lot. At one stage, I started vomiting and I just kept vomiting. So I decided to transfer. I said, I remember they, them coming into my room, turning on the light and saying, let's try to do an inversion because that helps with positioning. And I turned upside down to the floor and I just had all this pain. And I was like... This is crazy. This is not good. I need pain relief. So I asked to go to hospital. I think they were going to ask Dennis to convince me to go to hospital because up until then I didn't want to go. But I decided for myself that I wanted to go. They suggested they would call an ambulance. And I said, I asked them if they would give me pain relief. They said, no. I was like, okay, so I'll just go in my car because I couldn't sit down. I thought my back was going to split open. I was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. I got to hospital and I labored for another six, seven hours. I had them do an ultrasound and they told me my baby was breech and posterior. So that probably explained why I was in so much pain. And I was like, breech? Like, what? And I was like, that's fine. I'm fine. I'm just going to keep going. They told me there was something wrong with the baby's heartbeat, that it was not recovering from the contraction. And I remember crying and crying and just thinking that, you know, why, why was that happening to me? Why? And I would hear babies crying around the hospital and cry even more. It was terrible. They offered to do augmentation. They offered all this stuff. And I said, no, I don't want anything. I just want to keep laboring. And they suggested some exercises. I remember putting my legs up. I don't know. I did a heap of squatting and they kept asking me if I felt like pushing. I didn't feel like pushing the baby out at all. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, feel like pushing. What do you mean? And I was exhausted. I was tired. I was crying. I was using the gas. At the time, they offered an epidural. I didn't want an epidural. So I was only on the gas. And then the doctor came and asked if I wanted to have a, an internal check. And I was like, no, I don't. But, you know... I ended up accepting because I wanted to know how far along I was, if that had any influence on it. And I did. And they said, you're 10 centimeters dilated. And I'm like, so why the fuck isn't my baby being born? Like, why isn't the baby coming out? And the doctor said, I don't know. I don't know. At this point in time, all I can say is that you are fully dilated. You can keep laboring if you want. And we can check in on you again in a few hours. And you let us know. What do you want to do next? And they kept coming back. And the doctor said, I think it was this was about 6 a.m. You can keep going if you want. Your I asked if my baby was in danger. He said, No, your baby's not in danger. But if you keep going, we'll probably have to use forceps. It's not going to be a straightforward birth. And with that threat, I said, I want a cesarean right now. So I decided to have a cesarean. And I did. It was another two, three hours until I actually had surgery. 
they wanted me to sit down they wanted me to lie down on the bed with my back on the bed i couldn't even walk i could only be on all fours that's the only position i could be in they took me to the surgery room and they were chatting to me by that time i was alone i didn't have anyone else with me that i knew and then i got an epidural applied by a student at the time the, the guy just did it wrong so it didn't work um, and I remember saying is he learning on my back are you practicing this on my back and then I said do you understand that I've been in labor for 22 hours and I'm, I'm in a lot of pain I'm exhausted and you ca are causing a lot more pain I'm still having contractions this is crazy don't touch me I want someone to give me the epidural right now you know by then I was done I had vomited I had diarrhea I was dehydrated I was angry I was sad and then they gave me the epidural finally and it took another and long time I don't know how long for my partner to be allowed back and then they cut me open and I had the baby I asked them not to cut the cord they cut the cord anyway because they said that she needed help which is bullshit because she had the EPGA score of nine so there was nothing wrong with her but you know there's nothing you can do once once you're there that's it and they kept Penelope, my daughter, in special care for a few days because they claimed in, that she had low blood sugars. It was terrible for me because I couldn't see her whenever I wanted. I was very tired. I couldn't walk. They told me to walk. If I wanted to see her, I had to walk to the special care unit, which was far. It was far away. And they're like, if you're not ready to walk, then when you're ready, when you can walk, you can see her. That was, you know, a few hours after she was born. It was torture. And I was extremely tired because I just had surgery. I was on drugs because they, they were giving me opioids. And I was completely drugged, tired, cut. And I couldn't see my daughter. And it was terrible. And Dennis had to go home to sleep because there was nowhere for him to stay. So, yeah, so that's my story. So it was horrible. I went home after five days. And that was the, the beginning of you know, being home with a, with a baby and having just had surgery was terrible. How did you feel that your planned birth so quickly unraveled into just something so out of control? I remember telling the story to my a friend of mine and saying that and this was right after the birth, that I was glad that it had been my decision to have the surgery that I had not submitted to all the interventions that they had offered me, that obviously I didn't want to have that birth, but it was my decision to have the cesarean and that my baby was never at danger or at risk because of my choice to have the baby at home because that was something that, you know, my mother said to me after she heard the story, she said, oh, weren't you scared that you were home? I was like, no, I wasn't scared at home. I was fine at home. But at the time, my biggest problem was what happened with the baby, what happened after the birth, which was that they took her away from me and they kept her away. And then they wanted to test her blood sugars and they kept making mistakes with the needles and her feet were all bruised. So all these things about breastfeeding that they told me, I have breast implants and they asked me why I didn't have my milk. My milk was not coming in. It was day three and I only had colostrum. And I said, isn't colostrum milk too? So they made me pump milk and feel like a terrible person because somehow I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. That was the part that for me was the worst. But they kept your baby away from you. Of course, that was going to disrupt your milk and the way it's transitioning. I didn't like the way they were talking to me. And I was really drugged. But at one stage, after two days, I was like, I want to see my baby, like bring my baby back to me now. I want to have her next to me. I don't understand why you're keeping me separate. And then they kept saying, no, we explained it to you. Like I found them very incompetent, you know, like in terms of they didn't have any communication between staff. I would go and stay with, the, with my baby come back there was no food because the food had already gone like I wasn't eating I wasn't drinking because there was no food being served anywhere else I couldn't walk downstairs because I couldn't walk like there was all these issues so I found the hospital to be a shit show it was really bad and my partner Dennis he tried to tell me that you know they're trying to help you they're telling us that this because they know and and I was I just lost my shit like I was like I demand to talk to someone who actually knows what they're doing because Clearly, this is not helpful. What was happening is they were changing the rules so I couldn't go home. 
So they said she has to pass two tests and then she has to pass three tests and then they would change the rule. And then you have to pump milk. And if you cannot pump milk, then we are not going to let you go home. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like today, if that happened to me, I would just say fuck off and leave. But at the time I was like, what else do I have to do so I can go home? Because I couldn't sleep. They were waking me up all night long. It gets really tricky though, I think. If you're in a system, there almost is a game required to be played to extract yourself from it it seems easy to say I would do this but also the woman that would do this wouldn't go to the system that's right yeah you go home and you're recovering what does that look like well I went home with a pumping plan because I was told to triple feed my daughter because she had to keep her sugar levels up the plan was pump feed syringe feed with all these crazy things. And I did it for one night. And I remember you came over and we talked about it. And I just cried and cried a lot because I was so disappointed. You know, like I thought there was something wrong with me that I couldn't feed my daughter. And it was also the only thing that was left to me, which is, you know, I wanted to breastfeed. So I just threw the plane in the bean and I just lied down and breastfed her and she was fine. And after, you know, three weeks of midwives coming over and wanting to weigh her and tell me all this shit I was like I don't want anyone in my house you can all fuck off so I didn't have any more appointments I didn't see anyone else and I was at peace and my daughter was fine so it took that for me to just say no I don't want anyone you're not helping me every time I saw someone I had to recover from the appointment you know it was not helpful it was already too much for me to have a cut in my belly and do everything my partner went back to work after two weeks so it was hard, but I was really happy to be able to breastfeed. But what unfolded after the birth, I think that's where the trauma comes from. So that's my story for that part. About two years later, I was feeling really tired, feeling really sick, you know, sick in my stomach. I thought I had maybe anemia or there was something wrong with me. I booked an appointment to see a doctor. I had already done three pregnancy tests at home and they were negative. And I was pregnant. I tested positive with a blood test. I had been pregnant for almost three months at the time. And I just couldn't believe it. I had not felt pregnant. Like, you know, with Penelope, I knew I was pregnant straight away from conception. But I was just shocked. You know, I felt many emotions. One of them was, you know, don't I already know that, you know, how to prevent pregnancy? Why am I pregnant again? And how am I going to do this? It was so hard. Raising a child, you know, is so hard. And don't get me started on the birth. And what am I going to do about this, you know? I actually went to the doctor that afternoon and got the request for an ultrasound. Because I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not pregnant. I need to see this. This is not possible. And just spent that evening staring at the wall and thinking, how the fuck am I going to do this you know have another child and go through another birth I don't want to have a baby in the hospital I don't want to go through all of that again what am I going to do so I went the next day and I had the ultrasound I had my partner and my daughter and the baby was there I went into the car and I cried and I was like oh my god and I think that same day I contacted you I had already told you I was pregnant and the next day I said okay let's work together then then I thought, you know, this is my chance to have the birth that I want. Since I'm having the baby, I'm not doing anything not to have the baby. If I had waited and tried to plan a pregnancy, I would probably not have got pregnant. At that time, I was 37 years old when I got pregnant again. And I, and I thought I was going to wait a little bit longer or not have a second child. So I wasn't really planning on it. But since I was pregnant, I thought, you know, it's my chance to have the birth that I want. But then I realized that I wouldn't be able to find the help that I wanted as a person who had had a cesarean. I was already probably classified as high risk. I would be classified as high risk because of my age. You know, I had all these thoughts in my head. And that's when we started working together. You know, my fear at the time was that I was just going to end up having another surgery. I had no idea how to get out of that space. So I felt a bit paralyzed, you know, by all the fear. 
But at the same time, I had no choice. If I actually wanted to have a better birth, then I would have to get ready for it. But at the same time, you know, we had in our sessions, we talked about what does it look like? What is the birth that I want? That was hard for me because I was like, I want a birth without interventions. And then I would look at the system and think, well, if I want a birth without interventions, then I cannot go to the doctor. Between pregnancies, I had been listening to lots of podcasts about birth. I listened to your podcast and the Free Birth Society podcast a lot. I tried to understand why my first birth had been like that. And, you know, what are the chances that you're going to have a breech and posterior baby and be 10 centimeters dilated and the baby doesn't come out? Like, what are the chances that that could happen? And why didn't my baby come out and the other question I had was always why was she breech what did I do wrong why was she posterior was there anything that I could have done better and I talked to the chiropractor like I was I started doing chiropractic care straight away and my question to her was was there anything wrong and she's like I cannot tell anything there's nothing wrong with your body but think about creating space from now. So she gave me a few tips and, you know, I was already completely obsessed with the positioning of the baby mm -hmm. because I said, there is no way I can have a baby that is not well positioned for birth. So I had a little bit of that fear and obsession. You know, I that, remember. That, yeah. Because I was terrified. I was like, to have a birth, the birth that I want, I need to do this. Yeah, I need was, to do all these things. That's right. It was the layering of if I do this just perfect, then this positioning will mean that I get this. Mm. And if I work out what went wrong, why I couldn't birth her, then I'll be able to birth this next one. Yeah. And yeah, I remember just every session. Mm. Yeah, and I the, cried. The need to know, and you cried. <laughs> I cried a lot. Yeah. Mm. And also because I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready to be pregnant again. I thought I had to do all these things before I could get pregnant again. I thought I had to be ready physically and emotionally and have it all figured out so that I could have the birth that I wanted the first time and didn't get. Yeah, so, you know, for a while, I thought that maybe what if I had known before? You know, what if I had done an ultrasound before? when I was still pregnant before I went into labor, what if I had known that she was breech and posterior? So I went through that stage in the beginning, right after her birth, you know, I should have known. And I think it was you who said, what for, for them to pester you and for you to try and turn the baby? Like, what, why would you want to know? I went through that stage. I went through the stage of what could I have done for her not to be breech and posterior? And that lasted a long time, even when I was pregnant again. And what if I had stayed home longer, maybe? I always also had that one, you know, what if I had not called the midwives? Would I end up with a C-section? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe she would have been born home. Don't know. Could anything have gone wrong if I had stayed home? because it was never an emergency, maybe. Yeah, and I got to that stage that I will never know. And knowing I cannot change anything. That was really hard for me to accept because I wanted to know, is there something wrong with me now that would prevent this second baby from being born through my vagina? That was the question. But when I let go of wanting to know, because that was the second part to it was that I decided not to see a doctor. I think that was really what, changed me because I didn't have anyone to tell me or any tests to show me or anyone else to consult with about my pregnancy or my baby. I just had to trust that everything was going well and that if something was not right, that my body would tell me, my body would give me signs that something was not right with my pregnancy. It's interesting because I couldn't visualize the baby coming out of me. I looked everywhere for birth videos that I could see the baby coming out. I couldn't find many. And I remember trying to understand why I couldn't visualize that. It's because, you know, I heard all horrible things about babies coming out of women's vaginas that they destroy their vaginas. You know, like I heard a lot of that uh, in Brazil, you know, that it really hurt 
that's going to just destroy your body. And I couldn't visualize it. So I remember making a big effort to think about the baby coming out of me. I think that was a big thing that I had to do. I did a lot of that exercise. As soon as I could identify that that was one of my fears too, imagining the baby coming out of me and even having trying to have the feeling of the baby coming out of me. And I think that links so much back into your first baby didn't come out and they asked you those questions. Can you feel it? No. I think one of the big important things we did was we looked at 10 babies in less common positioning that need more time and need more space. Are they easily born with care providers who are worried? Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing too, while looking for these stories of babies being born in an environment where the woman is not interrupted, like I came across so many stories, all the stories had the same thing in common. Women were at home. They didn't have anyone that they didn't know around them. And they were determined that they were having the baby at home. And they believed they could do it. I remember I listened to the Free Birth Society and your podcast every day, all day. And I like, listened to two or three or four every day. And, you know, all the stories, didn't matter what the first or second births were like, but, you know, the birth the woman achieved, what she wanted was the birth that she believed she could do it. And she was in an environment that would enable her to do it. So, you know, your body's made for this. So the more I was accepting of that, I didn't have to do anything for my baby to be born. I just had... I just right had there. to be. I just had to be. Yeah. But I mean, like right there, that's so powerful. I didn't have to do anything for my baby to be born. But how much work does it take to get to that point? I mean, it's all nice to have a body in optimal alignment and well-being and health, of course. But this idea of needing to do something, actually, it's the opposite. How do we learn to do nothing and believe? And yeah, when you got to that point of, huh, I actually just have to show up and birth a baby. Yeah, it's so simple, but so hard. The absence of tests, ultrasounds, seeing people, I enjoyed it more and more, like not knowing. Because to me, when you know something, then you worry about it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. what does this number mean in my blood test? Why do I have this? I think that brings a lot of worry. I think the thing is, If I had to pick anything to say, what is the theme of your pregnancy and your birth preparation? It was getting comfortable with the unknown. Yeah, yeah, it was. You're a very critical thinker and you're always researching and knowing and learning, but it was actually the switching off of that and the going within, which was enabled by that space of self-directing your pregnancy that you really got in touch with What does it look like if I don't know and I trust anyway? And it was from that point where you just began to thrive and you just lived. Yeah, I just lived life and, you know, I did acupuncture. I went to the chiropractor. But no longer for any reason. You did those things because they felt good. You loved them. They helped you connect with your body. Mm. And you just were able to feel into the space base of yeah I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna birth this baby and the only person I need for that is me yes but then we talk about Dennis yes yeah so I remember we had this conversation where I asked you how you thought your partner Dennis felt about you planning to free birth and you said it's fine he's really really supportive of me and I was like great So have you specifically discussed it? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't you go home and really specifically discuss with him how he feels about your free birthing? And yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we went on a family walk around just before bedtime and I decided that was the time to talk to him. And I said, you know, I'm not having this baby in hospital. I'm having the baby at home. What do you think about that? He said, what? You're having the baby where? I said, at home. He's like, are you crazy? Do you remember what happened last time? 
why do you want to have the baby at home? I was very surprised by his response because I thought he was fine with it. He was going to go with the flow. And he said, no, you're not. No, we're not doing this. You have to be willing to go to hospital this time. I'm not taking any risks. I don't want to have the baby at home. You know, what if something goes wrong? Last time, it was very hard. We had to go to hospital anyway. And we had all the interventions possible. I was like, I didn't have all the interventions. I had a cesarean, but like, did you forget how hard it was for you? Did you forget how hard it was for me? I'm like, you never told me it was hard for you. Like, I know it wasn't easy. And then he went on and on and on. He said that I had to be willing to do it for the family so that I had to be willing to birth in hospitals so that I would protect the family from anything that could go wrong. What if the baby died? What if I died? Because he didn't want to raise our daughter by himself. Partners can carry fear and trauma themselves. And I remember you calling me and saying, well, yep, so that couldn't have gone worse. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, what are we going to do about that? It was interesting because I did not argue with him. Normally, I would have argued and tried to explain and give him all the stats. But I didn't. I just thought to myself, I was like, wow, he really has a lot of trauma around the first birth. And Mm -hmm. I thought initially it's an overreaction. But then I thought, no, you know, like that's how he feels. And I just accepted and I didn't try to change him, which is good. I was actually surprised. You know, I just thought he has so much fear around birth. That's his problem because it's my body and I'm going to do what I want. You know, it's just a matter of time. Maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he won't. I don't know. So at that stage, I was like, it's nothing I can do now. Like, I'm not going to spend my energy trying to change him. You know, I'm already crying a lot because of everything. It's not easy for me to be pregnant and have to work through my previous birth trauma and prepare for the birth that I want. Like, mm-hmm. this is too much for me. I cannot be responsible for him. That was a conversation right in the beginning, sort of like four months of pregnancy. And then I just let it be. I never talked to him again. And, you know, every now and then I would say to him, you know, I'm not going to hospital. I'm having the baby at home. And he was very fine with me not having any medical care during pregnancy. He never bothered asking anything. I didn't actually explicitly say I'm not having anything. Just one day he said, do you have any appointments that you go to? I was like, I just go to acupuncture and chiropractor and I see Lisa. Oh, you don't see a doctor? I was like, nah. He's <laughs> like, yeah, no, nah, I don't. So I suppose you don't have to as long as you're fine. I was like, yes, exactly. So, you know, and every now and then he, he's asking, so what happens? You just go to hospital. I was like, I'm not going to hospital. You don't understand. I'm having the baby at home. And he would just say, yeah, right. Up until we had our session, because we had a session later in my pregnancy, I think, with him. He was, yeah, he agreed to sit and chat with us three together and right. talk about what was worrying him and also about what you needed from him. I was shocked about how much he did not know about physiological birth I was shocked but at the same time I was like well you know I am the one who is pregnant anyway like how you know I cannot expect him to prepare for the birth like I do I never expected him to do it and it was a very interesting session because he said that he wanted to know everything that could go wrong and what if the baby had the cord around his neck all these what ifs It was good because I I could explain to him, I don't expect you to be a midwife. I don't expect you to be a doctor. He expected, he thought he he had to prepare for every single event. For me, it was interesting to hear that he had all this apparent burden on him Mm. because my choice was, you know, so hard for him. Um, Well, that's right. So he saw your choice to birth outside of the medical system that then the responsibility was on him to create a medical system within your home, which is not what you were looking for because you were in full responsibility. That's right. For yourself. That's right. And, you know, once we clarified that, I remember saying, no, I don't expect you to do any of this. I remember you saying, in what circumstances would you agree to go to hospital? And we talked about how, for me, if I was bleeding profusely, if, if I couldn't respond, if I had fainted and passed out, then he could call an ambulance or take me to hospital. Then it was fine and he would know, you know. 
we would know, I would know if something was really wrong, I would ask him to take me to hospital. He's like, what if I don't get to hospital in time? What if? And I was like, well, then we'll just have to accept it. You know, babies die in hospital too. I think up until that point, he hadn't really had the full understanding of how much you still carry trauma from your first birth and that it really meant a lot for you to not be in that position again and to be able to birth how you felt safe. And I think, you know, having that space for that conversation, I think he was shocked at your emotion around how much this birth meant to you to birth the way that you wanted to. And I think that that really cut through a lot of his arguments for his own fears and he just stopped and listened to you. Yeah, that's right. And I remember he was saying that I should go to hospital. And when he said that to me, it meant that he didn't believe that I was able to give birth because mm-hmm. that's how I understood it. And I remember crying and crying and crying about that. And I think that's when he realized that, you know, I wasn't going anywhere, that I was going to have the baby at home. And that was very important to me. Yeah. And actually it kind of went from all of these concerns around things mm. going wrong and how he was going to react in that moment to him just listening to you and admitting he did believe in you and he would do whatever you wanted to do for this birth and you had his full support and he wasn't unafraid but he was no longer putting his fear in front of what you needed for your birth and it was a really big shift in that moment yeah that's right so we went from not talking about it at all because he said no matter what I say you're not going to change your mind that's the conversation up until then to so what do you want me to do when you're in labor you know which was good because we had a lot of opportunity to talk about that and I said just do what I ask you to do like I don't know what does this mean I was like I don't know we'll have to see what happens when I'm in labor you will know when I'm in labor right remember when I was in labor first time it's like yeah I think he was as supportive as he could have been given the trauma that he had and it, for me it was good to accept that you know at the end of the day that was hard for him too mm. you know he didn't have surgery but it was hard for him to see me going through all of that we do a lot of work often to try and understand what happened and why it happened and how we felt from our traumatic birth experiences but there isn't a lot of space for partners to do that and that seems okay until suddenly you want to do something outside of their comfort zone for a subsequent birth and then out it comes. So, yeah, so it was good, you know, and then that was out of the way. I was very close to having the baby. I was feeling really calm up until a few events. You know, after our appointment, Dennis was still wanting to think about everything that could go wrong. And we had that book in the house the birthing on your own terms and I remember looking at the book and looking at there's like a troubleshooting section in the book and I read some of it and I was like oh my god am I being naive not thinking that any of this can go wrong in my labor or birth what was I thinking you know am I being naive or just trusting because I was super calm Mm-hmm. And I was very certain of all my decisions. How dare you be so calm? How dare you be so certain? Yeah, And then it's right. kind of like this little voice, you know, in a book that's supposed to be helpful. It's so interesting what can trigger yeah, the, yeah. the fear and the uncertainty again. Yes, I remember reading about, I think it was the shoulder dystorsia and all of these things. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I haven't even researched any of this. Because I didn't read anything in my pregnancy. I didn't research anything well once you moved past you know I need to have this perfect positioning and you let go of kind of all of that control and sort of went into the space of unknown that's where you got comfortable yeah this was like the opposite of it again well you felt like it was saying you need to know all of these things to birth safely yes I felt like I was being naive Mm. Well, and that, I guess, is what we've talked about in the past a lot, is that you're someone who gains a lot of strength from having a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And so you had let go of that in preparation for this birth to be open and vulnerable and comfortable with the unknown. And this kind of triggered, I guess, your old comfort level of, no, no, knowing everything keeps me safe. Yeah should I research all of these things? And then I put my hand on my belly and I'm like, where is his head? 
where are his feet? Where am I feeling the kicks? Because he moved a lot. He was a very active baby. And I started having all these doubts. And then I thought, I don't have time for this. Like I'm 34 weeks pregnant. There's a full moon coming. I remember looking at the moon a lot. What am I going to do? You know, and I thought that I would be pregnant for longer than I was the first time initially. But my body started changing a lot. So when I was about 34, 35 weeks, my body, I just, you know, I lost my mucus plug. I started having all these different feelings in my body. I was very connected with my body. I had no one to tell me anything. So mm. I noticed every change and my joints were really soft. My body was getting really soft. And I, and I thought, I don't think I'm going to get to 40 weeks. I think the baby's going to come sooner than that. And I thought, you know, I don't have time to research. I'm just going to have to trust. When I was about 36 and a half weeks pregnant, I had this big episode of cramps. Like I had a lot of cramping and it was very painful uh, for about two hours. And I remember sending you a message and saying, I don't know how I'm going to cope. This hurts too much. If I cannot cope with this, how am I going to cope with labor? And all these doubts came back about, you know, pain. How the fuck am I going to cope with the pain? How do I keep, you know, when researching how to cope with pain in labor and what do I do and, and all these things. Ah, so you went back to the same thing again. Yeah. Gaining all the knowledge. Yes, trying to, trying to. And, trying yeah. to outsmart your fears. By, yeah. by by putting more knowledge in your head. How interesting that that's your go-to kind of fix it. Yeah, yeah, I tried. And I remember crying and thinking, I'm not going to cope with the pain. Like, yeah. this is going to hurt too much. You know, we talked about it for a while through voice messages. And, you know, I came out of that thinking, I can't do this. I just have to do it until it's finished. Mm -hmm. And that was... A very good realization. Yeah, it was very good for me to go through that. I thought it was a very good um, lesson just before going to labor because I didn't know what my labor was going to look like. I didn't know. I just had to accept that it could be short or long or it could start and stop. Or, or it could be painful or it could be quick or yeah. I could, you know, I could tear. I could, many things could happen. I don't know. I didn't know. And... I just thought it was, you know, fun because I had been not knowing for a long time and trying to find out all the things about pain or whatever my fear was just brought me to that place of, oh, I don't know. There's no point in preparing. I don't have time anymore. You know, there's no time. What am I going to do? Go crazy now? You know, that's not the time to go crazy. Now's the time to just be and accept that, you know, this baby is going to be here when he wants or she wants. I woke up in the middle of the night at around 3 a.m. once and I just sat looking at the moon and thinking, I think my baby's going to be here very soon. And, you know, it was not full moon anymore. And I ate something. I was always eating in the middle of the night. I went back to bed. As I was getting to bed, my waters broke and I just felt the water coming out. It was very nice, a very good feeling because the first time it happened, I also felt the baby sitting on my spine. So it was very painful. But this time I didn't feel anything. I just felt the waters coming out. And I was like, oh, I better go sleep because this baby could be here anytime. So I need to rest. So very different from my initial behavior, which would have been, fuck, what now? I need to be awake like this baby's coming. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to rest. The waters were coming out very slowly. It was not a lot of water coming. I just waited, you know, just kept living life. I had appointments. We had our last appointment in that week. And I took my <laughs> my wet pad to your house and put it on the couch. <laughs> like, my waters are leaking. <laughs> How many days was the leaking happening? It's strange because I had just a tiny little bit of water <gasps> coming out. I think it was a week before, but then more coming. Like, it was slow, you know about three days before I went into labor. Mm -hmm. And I remember I told you and you were like, oh, okay. And we discussed what I could do. So I took a lot of vitamin C just to prevent an intentional infection, drank lots of water and just stayed there. And I, I remember my partner, he was still working. And I said, 
I think you have to cancel your shift because the baby's going to be here before the weekend. And I just, you know, I kept living life. I didn't do anything different. I went to my chiropractor appointment. I went to my acupuncture appointment just the day before I went into labor. And I remember saying to the lady, I don't think I'll have the next week's appointment. I think this is it for me. And she's like, yes, you're very soft. Yeah, things are changing. I was like, yes, it's very exciting. And I was actually really excited about going into labor. So I woke up and I just felt like I was getting sick. My nose was very blocked and our daughter ready to go to childcare. And I just lied on the couch and I just stayed there like all morning. I just asked my partner to feed me. It was like I was getting sick. I just wanted to rest. I took a lot of naps all day. I wore my pajamas. My back was really tight and I wasn't feeling any pain. I just did a lot of meditation. And I said, three o'clock in the afternoon, I haven't done anything all day. Like I'm just going to have a shower and, you know, snap out of this horrible feeling. I'm getting sick. I don't, I don't think I'm getting sick, but it's just horrible. So I had a shower at 3.30 and... I finished my hot shower and I started having very strong contractions straight away. <laughs> very strong. I remember sitting on the toilet and my partner said, what do I do now? I was like, go pick up our daughter from childcare because they're going to close soon. And it's okay. I'll just be here. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I was like, when is the baby? I was like, I don't know anything. I just know that I'm in labor and it's full of... <laughs> I remember I sent you a, a message, a voice message, and I was like, I think it has started. <laughs> so, and I was having pushing contractions straight away, which I had not felt before. It was awesome. I was like, this is exciting. I was actually excited because I was like, my body is trying to push, like, I know this is pushing the baby out. And I then went into the shower. I was by myself and I went and you know, got some hot water on my back. I didn't know what to do. I just squatted down on the floor and just stayed there. And my partner came home with our daughter and I was in the shower screaming. I was screaming really loud already and trying to breathe. And my daughter was like, is the baby coming out? I was like, yes, the baby's going to be here very soon. She was very excited at that stage. And she had a shower as well, a bath in the bathtub. And I was in the shower. You know, I couldn't think. It was funny because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't think. I couldn't talk. I could not think about what was happening. My body took over. Like I heard other women saying that, but I hadn't experienced any of that. And when I had the contractions, it's like they would never end. And I had the peak and it would go down, which I didn't have when I was in labor with my daughter. My contractions were strong and long and it felt like they were taking me somewhere I hadn't felt that with Penelope so I asked my partner to fill up the birth pool and I got in and we ran out of hot water so the water was very warm and it was not helpful at all so I thought it was not helping me my daughter at that stage she had just returned from childcare. she was hungry sleepy and she started having meltdowns she was having one meltdown after the next and I just couldn't help her and she was screaming in my ear and I said Dennis I cannot be in labor and comfort her you have to take her away from me which just made it all worse so I was like I can't do anything I just heard her screaming and I screamed as well when I had the contractions and it just became a little bit too much I tried to get out of the pool I couldn't get out I was stuck there for like 10 minutes trying to get out and I was at that stage drinking the water because I was in so much pain that, you know, I would take deep breaths and put my head down and drink water. And then I was saying, don't drink that water. You just did a poo in the water. And I was like, don't tell me that. And I was like, you did a poo. I was like, why haven't you got it yet? Just, you know, help me. And he's like, what do you want me to do? I was like, leave me alone. Control that child. But when I finally managed to get out of the pool, we went into the bedroom and I said, we have to put her to sleep. She needs to sleep. You know, I need to be alone to do this. Let's make her sleep. She was cuddling me while I was having contractions. And she was like, mama, are you doing a poo? I was like, yeah, that happens when you're having a baby. She's like, oh, you want me to wipe you? It was very cute. And I said, okay, it's time to sleep now. Just lean here. So she would lean on my shoulder and I would just pet her. She was exhausted. 
she fell asleep with me screaming. I was screaming. She still slept. And we put her to bed. And I got up and I said, I need to go to the toilet because I haven't peed in a long time. And I couldn't pee. I just kept having the contractions. I couldn't pee. And I said, I'm going to put my finger inside me. I just wanted to do it and see if I could feel the baby. And I couldn't even put the finger in. And I could feel the head of the baby. And I was just so excited. I was like, I'm having a baby. It's coming out of my vagina. <laughs> so then I said, yeah, let's do it then. Let's go to the living room away from the bedroom so I could scream and not wake her up. And I stayed there for another hour or so breathing and having you know all the contractions I had to have I was extremely calm I had a few thoughts during labor one of them was you know what if I cannot feel the baby moving that much what if the baby's dead like I had that and I it's funny because I coached myself the whole time and I would say but if the baby's dead you cannot do anything about it you have to birth the baby it's a sad reality that I had to accept there was nothing I could do and the other thing I thought was when his head started coming out was far out I'm going to tear and I thought just let it tear just let it tear there's nothing I can do the baby's gonna come out so I kept talking to myself the whole time and it was very nice my fears came to me but I was always like well I have to deal with it I'm here now you know another thing that I had when it was really painful because at that stage you know after I put her to sleep and the house was quiet I felt pain, but it wasn't as painful as when she was screaming and I couldn't focus. So I thought the baby's coming out, out from my vagina, you know, and every time the contraction came, I would say loud, down and out, down and out, down and out. Yeah, and then I just kept going and going. I asked Dennis to film it because it was important for me to see the baby coming out of me. So I told him to put the phone behind me. I wanted to see it which he did. And he just stayed there. He didn't say a word. He never said anything. What I found interesting about the whole labor process was that I coached myself throughout the whole thing and let it tear. And, you know, so what? I would say a lot of, so what? You know, let it be. It's like, oh, and I would say a lot, oh, it's, the baby's almost here. It's okay. It's good. Each contraction is bringing the baby closer to me. It's fine. And also that, you know, the pain was no bigger than me, that, you know, it was all working out the way it was supposed to, to be and all. Of, I thought it was pretty cool. And when I felt the stretch, you know, the big stretch of everything, I thought, oh, I'm going to tear. And I thought, no, it's okay. Let it tear. Let it be. Then we'll fix it later. It's fine. Just want the baby out. I think what's interesting is you weren't looking for anyone to make it okay for you. You weren't looking at, for anyone outside of yourself you had all the answers within and you yeah. could just say it to yourself. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, Dennis, throughout the whole thing, he just stayed quiet and didn't make any noise, didn't do anything, didn't move. He was actually quiet. And I felt a lot of, you know, I had this hot and cold and I would ask him, turn on the air, come, turn off the air, come, turn on the fan, turn off the fan, bring me some water, cold water, warm water, all this stuff. And he just did what I, what I needed. I don't, I didn't even see him or open my eyes I didn't have to he was just there giving me whatever I needed and you know I felt the head of the baby coming out and I could up until then I hadn't visualized it but then I felt the head coming out up until you know I, I knew it wasn't the whole thing and I was just like yes I did it I already did it he's almost out this is awesome I was very calm and it was a very peaceful feeling that I was like, I've done it. Like soon he's going to be out. And it was very slow. I, I remember saying, I need a break. It's okay, ba baby, give me a break. I need a break. And then I don't know if it's my impression, but I think my body would just take longer and go slower. I felt in control. I felt in control of my thoughts. And I felt I was accepting what my body was doing. And I think that's really powerful because I had accepted so far you know that my baby was going to be born he was perfect and things were the way they had to be yeah and then his full head came out and I remember saying to Dennis he's gonna be all out soon and he said you want me to hold him and I said no no I'll hold the baby but at the same time I couldn't move really well so I thought I'll just wait a little bit and we'll see and 
then I knew the contraction was coming. I was like, okay, you hold him then. And I felt the baby turning. And I said, I remember saying to Dennis, now the baby's going to turn and come out. That's exactly what happened. And I remember visualizing this a lot. I remember at that time when it happened. And then I just sat down on the floor and I was like, I did it, you're here. And I remember looking at him, he was so beautiful, all covered in vernets, all white. And he was very calm and very quiet, which I you know, expected. And my partner said, shouldn't he be breathing or something? And I said, no, no, he's fine, he's okay. And I touched all the liquids from his mouth and his nose and he made a little noise. Yeah, it was awesome. I remember not crying. I didn't cry. I was just really happy and, and I felt very powerful. I felt really powerful about having done it. And, you know, it was very quick. Uh, he was born at, it was almost 10 o'clock. So it was six hours of labor, just a little bit less than six hours. And it was awesome. And then I called you. I got a little bit worried because he was very calm and very, you know, sleepy. Yeah, but we, we told her, said, I have a baby, Lisa, I have a baby in my arms. I did it, I did it, I'm so proud. I remember we talked a little bit and then I just, you know, tried to feed him and stay. He was fine. I think for my partner, because he was a bit scared of the whole thing because probably not seeing any babies being born calmly, you know. Mm -hmm. He was born in the dark at home. There were no lights, there was no one else holding him except for his parents. He was super calm. And once we talked about it, he was fine, he was quiet uh, breathing and I just left the cord on and I tried to get the placenta out in a few ways you know I squatted down I thought about it it wasn't working it didn't come out I was exhausted I was so tired and I decided to lie down and we all fell asleep with the baby Dennis and I and the baby in between us in the living room my daughter was still sleeping in the bedroom and we woke up, it was like 4.30 in the morning, so six hours after. And I remember I woke up to a contraction. So I was having a contraction and I felt blood coming out of me. And I thought, I think I need to get the placenta out. So I decided to cut the cord and go to the shower. I had a few more contractions, but no placenta, wasn't coming out. I was still very calm. At no point I was desperate or scared. The baby slept on dada's arms while I tried to do all of that and it was around six o'clock I had some tincture for placenta release so I took it and then I looked at my phone and you had texted me and said is the placenta out yet and I texted you back and said no it's not out I just had a tincture and I'm I'm waiting I'm gonna have another dose in 10 minutes and I did I had another dose in 10 minutes and then you said can I call you I said yeah no problem you can call me that's when I thought Maybe it's been inside me for a very long time. So at that time, it had been eight, eight and a half hours, I think. So you talked me through it and got the baby to feed. I had a few more contractions. I sat on the toilet and I felt a placenta coming out. It was the best feeling ever because my belly was really swollen and I hadn't peed in 16 hours. So my placenta came out nine hours later. The placenta came out together with the pee. It was mm -hmm. not one and the other. But I remember you said, the placenta has already done its job. You don't need the placenta anymore. And I remember saying to myself, I don't need you anymore. Placenta, you can go. And I just remember saying, you can go now. It's okay. You can go now. You've done your job. And I felt it coming out and, you know, just rested. And soon after that, my daughter woke up and saw the baby. And she was a few minutes later doing grunting in the kitchen, saying the baby was coming out and copying me when I was in labor. And... Yes, and that was it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because there's lots of fearful stories around placentas not coming out. Over the years, becoming really, really comfortable with, it can take some work to release that placenta and it's okay if it takes time. I mean, I actually really yeah. enjoy women taking their time and knowing that that placenta will come out. Witnessing that being able to happen with you was really nice and yeah. just really normalising that kind of time that it can take. And then that it can end up absolutely fine and perfect. When you are really connected with yourself and you know if something's right or wrong, that you can feel comfortable and safe to do things in your own time. Yeah, I never thought there was anything wrong. I was actually really calm. And only later, I went back to that birthing on your own terms book. 
And I read about the placenta not coming out and the author said that she's only ever seen a placenta, the longest was nine hours and she's only seen it once, but it was fine, completely fine. I didn't care, I didn't have anything. I was just amazed at my body. I was just like, wow, you know, and recovery was so much better. And I was so happy because I had this whole fog over me when I had the cesarean for months. I couldn't even talk properly for months, four or five, six months. And with this, I was, you know, straight away in 10 minutes, I was calling my family in Brazil and telling them that I had just had my baby. Like the clarity that I had after the birth, I was really surprised. When I was in labor for the first time and I called the midwives, I always had this thing that I was in another planet the whole time I was in labor. When I labored at home, I was always present and calm. There was nothing I needed to worry about except for having the baby and I didn't have to be somewhere else. I was just there. It was amazing. It was a very good experience. And, you know, I thought straight after I was like, I want to do this again. <laughs> so it was awesome. My baby was super, he's super healthy. Now he's almost five months. Super healthy. <laughs> we can hear. Yeah, super beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's you. Yeah, healthy and happy and yeah, it was amazing. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing. Ka Carolina, I'm so grateful for you sharing both your birth journeys and your own journey of learning and healing. Mm. Thank you. And what a just a beautiful way to birth your son. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I hope my story can inspire other women to do the same to you know have the birthday want. is there anything final you would like to share before we finish up i just think that you know women have to believe that they deserve to have the birthday want. i think a lot of times we just you know people accept that we just have a healthy baby and that's okay that's enough when you know the baby needs a mother that is healthy and happy and you know i don't think people should settle for less and if they don't find a place that will give them what they want, they should just try and do it themselves because they can. We don't need anyone. We just need the mother and the baby to have a birth. I think getting ready for it is really important. If you believe that you can do it and you can, you can do it. Anyone can do it. It's nothing special. You know, when I, after having the baby, I thought I was obviously really happy. And, and then I thought, but it's so ordinary. It's so simple. It's just a family birth a birth at home, baby came out of me, that's it. You know, it's simple, we don't need anything else. But a lot of the mental work or, you know, all, all your fears and blocks, they need to be removed. And I think it can be really hard to do it by yourself. So having the right help is important. And you don't get that at a hospital. I think women deserve to have a Hello. healthy birth. Hello. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Marlena. Thank you. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm so happy you could join us. If you would like to know more about how to transform your birth, life, business, or motherhood, you can connect with me via my Instagram. Lisa.Masters. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it in your stories and tag me. That's all for now. Until next time. <laughs>